Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Glad that you're here today. Um, how are you guys doing? Thank you, Kelly. Good to hear that you are here today. I'm preaching to one person today, and I am happy about that. Um, glad to, to have you here today. Um, if you're new, I want to say welcome, and, and we're glad to have you. And uh, as we begin, I just want to say today it is my deep desire that... Um, the, the gospel would be loudly proclaimed. Our hearts would genuinely praise our Lord and that we would desperately see our need for a Savior and find our lives transformed by Jesus Christ. I hope you will join me in that today. Um, maybe you've heard of a man before named John Bunyan. Uh, John Bunyan, he, he wrote a popular book called Pilgrim's Progress. For the, those who aren't familiar... Um, the book is an allegory about um, a man named Christian, and he faces uh, various challenges as he walks through life. And this story is a representation of the struggles that real Christians often face as they go through life. Some of you might be familiar with this book, but probably fewer of us may be familiar with John Bunyan's actual life and some of the trials that he faced. So I want to share a little bit of, a, uh, of the story of John Bunyan. So John Bunyan, he was a metalworker turned preacher. And he got married when he was about, he was about 20 years old. And he, uh, he and his wife had four kids, and one of his kids um, was blind from birth. When he was about 30 years old, uh, his wife dies, and he leaves him with the four children and John Bunyan, he would, he would get remarried about a year later uh, to a woman named Elizabeth. However, just a year into their marriage, John was arrested for preaching the gospel. And his wife, uh, Elizabeth, was pregnant at the time. And while John was in prison, Elizabeth had a miscarriage. Uh, also, while John was in prison... He was told by uh, the authorities that he could leave any time he wanted, actually, but on the condition that he would, no, uh, he would have to agree to no longer preach the gospel. And he denied this offer, and so he ended up spending about 12 years total in prison. So for many of us, a situation like this would stir up frustration, anger, and resentment towards God and towards the world. However, upon release from prison, John Bunyan was quoted as saying this. He said, bless you, prison. He said, I have served enough time there. I have nourished my soul there. And I say without hesitation, bless you, prison, for having been in my life. So quite a statement. Uh, there's, there's a common question asked by many skeptics of religion why would God allow bad things to happen to good people, right? Why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? And 
while I, I disagree with the premise that there are good people out there that only deserve good things to happen to them, um, there is a sentiment to that that does remain true, right? Why must we face hardships in this life, right? Why does God allow us to face difficulties? What is the purpose of trials in our life? And that is essentially the question that we seek to answer today. Today, I want us to, to dive deep into the topic of trials and, and see what the Bible has to say about the trials that we face in our lives. So the main thing that I want us to see from our text today is that God has a plan for your trials. God has a plan for your trials. Today, we're beginning a new series in the New Testament book of James, and we're calling this series Faith in a Broken World. So faith in a broken world. And the reason why that we've called it this is because what we see in this book is James addressed real issues that believers were facing at the time. Right? And he talks about what it looks like to have faith in different circumstances. So this book gives us very practical solutions to the question, how do we live out our faith? And I believe that this book will be helpful for us to spiritually mature us in a culture that offers nothing more than general notions to the idea of faith. To share a little bit of context for us, so the, the book of James was written by James, who was the brother of Jesus. Uh, James lived alongside of Jesus. He would have eaten meals with him daily. He would have witnessed the miracles of Jesus, and he would have uh, he would have learned from the teachings of Jesus. However, the, the, the book of John tells us that during the lifetime of Jesus, James did not believe in him as the Christ or the Messiah. We see this likely change, changes after Jesus appears to him after his resurrection, and we see that his tone has, has completely changed even in how he introduces himself at the beginning of this book. He starts by saying, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So following Jesus' death and resurrection, James finds himself as a follower of Jesus, and he finds himself as a leader of the early church in Jerusalem. The, the letter that he writes is, is written to believers that were scattered around the world at that time. Um, in Acts chapter 8, we see that because of persecution, the early church was scattered. And so James's letter would have been sent to these people who faced persecution and were living away from their home in Jerusalem. And so as we go throughout this series, I would encourage us to, to think about what does it mean for you to have faith in a broken world? Right? How can you and I live out our faith even when it's difficult? Because that's a lot about what we're going to be exploring in this series. Uh, let's begin by reading our text for today. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to follow along. Uh, we're going to be in James chapter 1. James chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And we're going to begin in verse 1. Let's read what it has to say. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes, tri tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person not, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers." Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let's pray and we'll dive into our text for today. God, we thank you uh, for the, the privilege and opportunity that it is to, to be here today. I'm going to hear your word preached. Um, God, we thank you that we have access to your word and that we can learn from it. And God, uh, we ask that you would mature us through your word. Um, we, as we, we talk about trials today, God, would you help us in, um, in our trials? Would you give us wisdom, endurance, and joy? And would um, you just use um, the trials in our lives to mature us and to, be, to make us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So looking at our text, what we see is James is addressing trials that are being faced by the believers in his day. As, as we mentioned, James was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. And as persecution breaks out, he writes this letter to the church that is being scattered. Acts 8 tells us, it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So James likely has stayed in Jerusalem, and he writes this letter to encourage those fleeing persecution. Uh, the first thing that I want us to point out, I want to point out for us, is that God uses the process of trials to mature us as believers. God uses the process of trials to mature us as believers. And, and I think that's a difficult thing for us to understand, right? Often we think, I wish God would just take this away, right? Why do I have to struggle with this? Whether that's uh, difficulties in life or struggle with sin, that, that's a natural way to think. I think, I think of, of people that I know who have struggled with mental health and they've expressed to me that, that same thing. Why do I struggle with this, right? I wish God would just take this away. 
Um, and I've heard the same sentiment with, f- f- from people who struggle with addiction, whether that's uh, substance abuse or sexual addiction. I've heard many people share the, the same sentiment. Why do I have to struggle with this? Why, why won't God just take this away from me? And so this is a, a normal thought process, right? This is a normal way of thinking. However, uh, I want to take some time to correct this, as this is not the biblical way of thinking. Because what we see is that God has a plan for your trials, and he uses the process of trials to mature us as believers. And this is a process. It is a process of becoming complete, lacking in nothing, as it says in verse 4. It is not just a, a snap of a finger and we're done with our struggles. And yet this is often our expectation. So one thing I want to point out for us is that God is not our personal genie who, who, fixes, uh, who, who fixes our problems as we demand. Right? God is not our servant who, who just fixes the mess that we get in, into as soon as we get into it. In fact, it, it's interesting that the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ begins his letter by introducing himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So rather, it is us who are his servants, and as his servants, we trust him and his process for maturing us. We can look uh, to many other places throughout Scripture of God using trials to grow his people. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and then right after, they spend 40 years in the wilderness. Job lost his family and everything that he owned. David's son tried to kill him. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. His friends were thrown into a furnace. Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Paul was imprisoned. And God used each one of these trials to grow these people. So for, for how much the Bible talks about suffering, it is a very entitled view to not expect to suffer in this life. As, as a father, I can give my children everything that they want, at least to the extent that I am able, and yet that will only produce entitlement in them. If they, they never go through any struggle, if I'm always there to just bail them out of whatever situation that they're in, they, that they will come to expect that. And they will never mature to know how to deal with their issues on their own. And the same is with our Father. God uses the process of trials to mature us as believers. Uh, a preacher named David Platt, he writes this, he says, Think of a trial in your own life. He says, whether that's big or small. If the goal is just to fix your circumstances, then you are setting yourself up for constant frustration. This is because often the circumstance won't get fixed like you want it to, and sometimes it won't get fixed at all. Even when it is fixed like you want it, something else will come up, and you will live in constant anxiety. He says, but if your ultimate goal is not just to fix your circumstances, but to know God and grow in God, then rejoice because no matter, how, no matter what your circumstances, you will achieve your goal. God has designed trials for your growth in godliness. Trials are joy when God is our goal. So it is through the process of trials that God often chooses to spiritually mature those who put their faith in him. And so this may take a paradigm shift in, in how we see trials in our lives. Right? This should give us a new perspective on how we look at trials. 
A quick, quick note about verses 13 to 15. We talked about this in November in our Temptation series. Um, if you were there for that, you may remember this. Uh, what we see here is that James is clear that God does not tempt people to sin, but rather he uses trials as a means of testing in order to mature believers. So this is what he says. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. He says, then desire, when it, is when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So, although we may be tempted, it is not God tempting us. It is our own sinful nature. However, it is in it, God's intention is to use this as a test to grow and mature us. And we have the opportunity to obey God and to grow in our spiritual journey. So we see that, that God has a plan for your trials. They are not meaningless. He uses them to mature us as believers. Now let's take a look at how he matures us. Number one, God uses trials to produce endurance in believers. God uses trials to produce endurance in believers. Uh, I'm sure we've all trained for something in our lives, right? Maybe that was a musical event, or like, a, a, like a show or a recital. Uh, maybe that was like some sort of test that you needed to take. Maybe an athletic event. Um, a couple of years ago, I decided that I was going to train for a 5K. I was going to run a 5K. So when I, when I started training, I wasn't particularly in shape. Um, and so it wasn't possible for me to just uh, go from zero exercise at all to running five kilometers in one shot, right? I did not have the endurance to do that. So what I did was I trained. Um, I started eating better. Uh, I did a bit of intermittent fasting to get my weight a little bit lower. And I started running. Um, I, I downloaded this app called uh, Couch to 5K, which what it does is it incrementally increases the amount of time that you run for in order for your body to adjust. So week one, what I would do is I would, I would run for a little bit, and then I walked a lot. Um, and then the next week, I ran a little bit longer, and I walked a little bit less. And I ended up completing this program uh, about a few weeks before the race, and uh, a couple times a week, I was, I was pretty much running a, a 5K. Um, one day, though, I'm running in the morning, and something doesn't feel right. It's, something feels a little bit off. Um, it's not that it's, like, super painful, but it's, it's a little bit of uh, a weird feeling in my leg. And I think, you know what, I'm just going to keep going. It's probably no big deal. A couple of, uh, of minutes later, I'm unable to run any further because I ended up pulling a muscle on my calf. And so for, for a week or so, I had to rest it, right? I had to recover. And, and then the, the weeks leading up to the race, what I did was I spent extra time working on strengthening that calf muscle in order to build it back up. So on my journey to, to run this 5K, I faced many trials, right? I had to overcome unhealthy eating habits. I had to lose a little bit of weight. I had to overcome this injury. But all of this I went through in order to build up enough endurance to be able to finish the race in the end. And all that being said, in our spiritual journey, we face trials to build up our endurance. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
It says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the outcome of, of your trials is meant to produce endurance. It is meant for you to last longer, to be able to handle the next trial better, to de develop you so that you as a Christian can finish this life strong. And James, he, he shows us the importance of pursuing Christ in our trials. That, that's the only way that we will um, endure is if we pursue him. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. He says, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What James is saying here is that if your pursuit is material things, if you think wealth is going to ease your trials, or if you think beauty can mask your difficulties, then you will be utterly disappointed. Right? Those things will fade. Those things are not eternal. So be careful what you pursue to ease your pain when you face trials. Um, I think of like a dandelion, right? Not, not that they're like the, the prettiest flower, but in, in the summer, you know, you have like this, this nice little yellow flower uh, that grows on, on a dandelion. Um, and a couple of weeks later, it turns into like the skeleton version of it where like the, the, the petals, you can just take it and blow it off and then it all just disappears. That's, that's the image that, that James is giving us of pursuing the pleasures of the world. Um, our, our oldest daughter, Skylar, she often points to the dandelions and she says, Dad, they're beautiful. And as someone who has had weeds in my backyard, I know that they will spread and they will kill all the beautiful grass in the yard. And, and then they will disappear and they'll just leave destruction in their path. But think about that when you think to comfort yourself by the pleasures of the world. The immature think that they are beautiful but the spiritually mature know what kind of destruction that they lead to. If you choose to, to pursue comfort in your trials by seeking wealth or pleasure, you will fade as the dandelion. But if you pursue Christ and his ways, you will endure. James tells us as much in verse 12. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So know that for those who love God, who seek him over the pleasures of the world, they will receive life. They will endure to the end. They will not fade away because they sought out things that are eternal, Jesus Christ, the God who is everlasting. In your trials, seek things that are everlasting and you will have everlasting reward. But seek things that fade and you will fade with them. God has a plan for your trials. First, he uses them to produce endurance in believers. Second, God uses trials to produce wisdom in believers. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from God. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. How many of you would say that you lack wisdom? 
All right. Hey, just checking, just checking. Uh, I mean, I think the real answer, though, should be all of us, right? Thank you, Dylan. All right, one of, one of you is on the right path here. <laughs> um, that's, that, that, that's one of those things that you can never get enough of right. Like, no one's out there thinking, yeah, I think I have enough wisdom for the rest of my life. Right, I'm set. I'm set in my wisdom forever. No, we can all use a little bit more, right? I hope we're learning that today. Um, and, and so James gives us a, a clear directive here. If you lack wisdom, just ask God, right? Ask God and he will give it to you. Why? Because he's generous, because he loves us, because he has a plan to produce wisdom in you, even in your trials. Our trials are trials because we don't know what to do in them, right? And so in our trials, it is necessary to seek wisdom, and God graciously provides when we ask. Uh, there is one caveat though, right? What's the caveat? Ask, ask in faith, right? You ask trusting God. And, and I want to elaborate on this a little bit. Here's what I think James means here. So throughout scripture what we see is that faith is not just this nice thing that we believe in our hearts. It has absolutely no bearing on our lives whatsoever, right? but rather that there is action tied to faith, right? When people have faith in the Bible, they don't just say, I trust God, right? Their actions prove that they trust God, right? Consider Abraham. Abraham had faith in God and he left his home as God told him. There were actions tied to his faith, okay? Now, when we talk about asking for wisdom in faith, what James is saying is, you ought to apply the wisdom that God gives you. If you doubt, then you will not apply the wisdom God gives you. James says that person is unstable in his ways, right? I'm going to give you an example here. Um, Juan, he comes up to me and he tells me that he's having girl trouble, right? He's been dating this girl for a while and things are going well. And he comes to me one day and he says, Graham, I don't know what to do, man. He says, this girl just sent me this scandalous photo. She wants me to come over after work. We're, we're, all gonna, we're just going to be alone, the two of us. I feel like something might happen. I might do something in that relationship that I don't want to do. Right? What should I do? That's what he asks me. Well, as a pastor and, and his friend, I tell him, I say, hey, man, you probably shouldn't do that, right? It's, it's probably not a good idea to go there. Maybe after work you go home, you head home and get Stephen to make you some sugar-free snacks and you guys just hang out there and maybe watch a movie together or something like that. And he says, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. That would be the wise thing to do, right? So we part ways. That's the end of the conversation for now. Now, let's say the next day I find out that Juan did not go home to get sugar-free snacks, but he ended up going to made-up girl's house. You know, what would I think, what, what would we think of that, right? I would not believe that he really wanted the wisdom I had to offer. Right? He did not ask in faith because he did not intend to live out that wisdom. Right? Same thing goes with our relationship with God. We, when we face trials and we ask for wisdom, we must be willing to live out that wisdom no matter what it costs us. James says, those who don't are double-minded. They're unstable. They're tossed to and fro. And perhaps most importantly, he says that person will not receive anything from the Lord. Are you willing to, in faith, ask for and live out the wisdom from God in your trials? Because God has a plan for your trials. He uses it to produce wisdom 
and endurance in believers. Finally, what we see is that God uses trials to produce joy in believers. Our passage today began by saying, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. How counterintuitive is that? Right? How should we have joy in our trials? Yet this is what scripture tells us, Romans 5.3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, 1 Peter 4.13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, 2 Corinthians 12.10. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Scripture does not see trials as something that we ought to despise, but rather something we find joy in. And that is a difficult truth that we must deal with. So how do we find joy in our sufferings? How is this possible? Why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, let me share with you why we have joy. We can have joy because when we face, God, when we face trials, God is in control. We can have joy because God uses our trials to mature us. We can have joy because we have a God who can relate to us, who came to earth to face his own trials. We can have joy because on the cross he paid the penalty for our sin. We can have joy because when we put our faith in Jesus, we will never have to face the wrath of God. We can have joy because Jesus suffered in our place. We can have joy because he is alive, raised from the dead. We can have joy because he has given us his spirit. And so we can have joy when our hope is placed in Jesus. Because he is a good and loving God. And that takes, care, takes our trials and uses them to produce endurance, wisdom, and joy in us. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So faith in a broken world is trusting the character of God in all situations. When bad things happen to you, do you still believe you have a good God? That is what it is to have faith. It is to acknowledge all the evil around you, all the bad things in the world, even the bad that we contribute to the world, and yet say, I still have a good God. The enemy meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. I want to wrap up our time with another quote from John Bunyan. Um, I've taken the liberty to, to paraphrase it a little bit from the old English, so it's a little bit easier for us to understand. Uh, but here's what he says regarding facing persecution. He says, if therefore, when you have fled, you are taken, do not be, be not offended at God or man. He says, not at God, for you are his servant, your life and your all are his. Not at man, for he is but God's rod and is ordained in this to do you good. Have you escaped? Laugh. Have you been taken? Laugh. I mean, be pleased which, which way, however things shall go, for the scales are still in God's hand. So why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? Because he has a plan. He's, his plan is to produce endurance, wisdom, and joy in you so that you can be transformed to be more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have a plan for all things. And when we come alongside of your plan, we have the, the ability to for, for these trials in our lives to produce wisdom 
endurance, and joy in our lives. God, when we put our faith in Jesus and him alone, we have nothing to worry about because you are working for good in our lives. God, would you use the trials in our lives to shape us, to mold us, to be more like Jesus Christ who came and died for, the, for our sins. He selflessly died on the cross for you and, and I. God, would you mold us to be more like him? Would we uh, have, have gratitude for that every single day? Would we live more and more like Jesus? In our trials, would you give us wisdom, endurance, and joy? God, we love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.